0: Father in heaven, we thank you for this amazing day, this amazing chance to be here with the people we love in this place. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your word. We want you to speak to us today at a very core level that will make us solid and make us able to withstand when life gets just scraped down to nothing. Help us to know what we can stand on. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we start today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And this is our key passage for this whole series. So, here it is. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So, today we begin in earnest to focus on faith hope, and love. And specifically, we're going to be focusing on faith today and for the next two Sabbaths after today. Now, we've spent a couple weeks getting to this point, laying a foundation, because we talked about the text. It says, and now these three remain. Well, they remain from what? Well, these remain from all the rest of the Christian life and experience, and that's not calling the rest of the Christian life bad at all. It's simply to say, when it all gets scraped down to its core, what is at the core? Faith, hope, love. And then last Sabbath, we talked about mature faith. Because in that chapter, Paul talks about when I was a child, there was these childish things, but I've put away the childish things. I've become a mature believer. And when we grow up in the faith, what people see in us is faith, hope, and love. It's not that theology or practice or structure or process are unimportant. No, they're all very important. They're just not what remains. So today we turn to faith. And to lead us in, I want to share a text that I heard read this last Wednesday night at House of Prayer Experience uh, from one of the voices of the ones we love. You Remember, we did that Voices series this summer. We had a Voices moment at House of Prayer, and Mignon Waller shared with us. She's one that sung to us sometimes, but she got up and read this passage, and it was it was so appropriate. What are you doing over there? You usually sit over here, don't you? I finally found Mignon. You're over there. All right, good. I I thought this passage was so appropriate. I wanted to start with it today. So it's first Peter chapter one, beginning in verse one. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now we're gonna come back to Peter in a minute, to God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's a great way to start a letter. So that's how he greets them. And then he heads in. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We have nothing in our lives right now that never perish, spoil, or fade. It all does. But through Jesus and through his resurrection, we have been brought into this inheritance that never spoils or perishes or fades. But maybe it doesn't feel like that all the time. Well, well, we keep reading. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through what? Faith. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time there is a salvation to be revealed when Jesus comes again verse 6 in all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials that's where we're all right now we're in the suffering phase these have come "...so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." Your faith brings praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Your faith is of more value than gold. Now sometimes I wonder, if I had my faith in gold, how much would that be worth? How much is a mustard seed worth these days? I don't know. But your faith is of more value than gold. I want to spend our time today briefly considering four Bible characters and the role that faith played in their experience and in their interactions with Jesus. And from them, I hope we can seek to gain an answer to two questions. Number one, what is the core confession of the faith? And number two, What do the faith experiences of these people in the Bible and when they interacted with Jesus have to say to us about our own faith experience? We can't have their experience, but what will ours be? And so today I want to start with Thomas. We go to John chapter 20, verse 19. We find these words On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so to fully appreciate what's being said here, we got to put ourselves back in this context. So this is the first day of the week. Two days before this, much to the shock and despair of the disciples, Jesus, their rabbi and teacher, was taken, nailed to a cross. They watched him die. And then they spent the 24 hours of the Sabbath with all of these questions going around and around and around and around in their heads. We forget about that Sabbath day and what that experience must have been like because we know the Friday and then we jump over there to the resurrection. But they spent a day in absolute confusion and despair. It was a silent Sabbath. But then the strangest thing happened. That Sunday morning, some of the women who were a part of this came to these disciples and said, the tomb is empty. Some of them said, we've literally seen Jesus. And the disciples had a really hard time believing the report. But now it's that evening, and they're inside the room with the door locked because they're afraid they may be the next one's killed. When a new thing happens, suddenly Jesus appears in the room with them. Now, Jesus has not made a habit previously of entering rooms by any means other than opening the door and going in. So this is a new experience. And he tells them, don't be afraid. He says, peace. Be with you. Now notice what he does, because he knows they're going to be a little surprised. It says he showed them his hands and side, and if we were reading this in the book of Luke, we would see where he even asks for food. And it says, and, and fish was given him and he ate it, all for the purpose of demonstrating I'm not a spirit, I'm the guy you know. Then he commissions them, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, and he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's some implications I want you to understand. The disciples in the room that night were told Jesus is alive, and they did not believe it until Jesus himself appeared in the room, showed them the physical reality of his presence, and gave them his Spirit. Okay, you got that? All right, we're ready to go on. Verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now, I don't know where Thomas was, but for whatever reason, he wasn't in the room that night. And after this happened, they come to Thomas and they say, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And from that point on, he received a name that we know to our day. He was no longer Thomas Didymus, was he? He was now Doubting Thomas. But here's the thing about Doubting Thomas. I'll bet you can't prove to me from the Bible that he was any less doubting than the rest of the disciples were. Because somebody came and told them Jesus was alive, right? But they didn't believe it either until Jesus appeared, right? So maybe it should be doubting disciples, not just doubting Thomas. Never be too quick to judge the faith experience of someone else. You don't know what they've been through. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hand? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe now I want you to appreciate what a parallel experience this was. It was the same thing. They were in the same room, the same door was locked, and Jesus appeared in the same way, and he said the same thing, only this time he said it just to Thomas because he missed it the first time. The first time he showed up, he said, "Look, look at my hands, look at my side. Give me something neat. This time he says it directly to Thomas." Now, the reason I point that out to you is because this is important to us because our experience, I believe, is closer to the experience of Thomas than it is to the experience of the other disciples. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. But I want you to watch and see how Thomas responds to what Jesus says. Verse 28 Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Now, let me tell you what I think. The response of Thomas is instantaneous. And I suspect that this instantaneous response of Thomas tells me this for certain. If Thomas had been in the room a week before, he would have confessed faith exactly like the rest of them did. Because as soon as Jesus appeared to him, he confessed it exactly the same way they did. So we can ask ourselves, why did this happen? Was this this something God just set up in order to catch Thomas? Maybe he had a weakness in this area, and the Lord was going to expose it? Well, maybe. I don't know what it was for him. But I would like to think that the reason this happened, that in fact it was God's purpose that Thomas not be there, and then that Thomas come back and express that doubt, that in fact this happened not so much for his good, but for ours. That Thomas went through the trial he went through for us. Because watch what happens next. Verse 29. Then Jesus told Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us, right? Because I don't think I'm going out on a limb. I think you would have told me. I don't think there are very many in this room who have been together in a locked room and had Jesus appear and tell you to touch the nail prints in his hand and put your hand in his side, right? Can I see the hands of everyone? No, we weren't there, were we? So that makes us a part of the other group, those who have not seen So here's the question. What does it take to believe in Jesus? And what specifically are we supposed to believe? So to begin to answer those questions, let's put a pause on the Thomas story. And now we're going to jump all the way back to the very beginning of the story of Jesus. We're talking about the very end, but now we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And if Thomas represents those who struggle to believe. Surely, Nathanael represents those who don't. So we're in John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So now I want you to notice what's happening here. Philip is telling Nathanael. Now, now it's limited what he's telling him. He's saying, I think it's the Messiah is what he's saying. And what does is, what is Nathanael say? Nazareth, verse 46, can anything good come from there? Nathanael doubted at first. You see that? Come and see, said Philip. If Jesus said to me, hey, saw you under the tree, I'd be like, cool, saw you over there. Something happened in that moment. But for skeptics like me, it doesn't usually happen that way. You see, some people just get it. Have you ever noticed that? You just share a couple things about Jesus with them and then it's like the Spirit fills them and they believe and they keep on believing and they continue to believe to the end of their lives. It's surprising when you run across people like this, especially in our day where it seems we've been trained to be skeptical of anything. I think Nathaniel even surprised Jesus in this moment. Uh, Verse 50, Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, the NIV translates this response as kind of a, a factual statement, but it's possible, and I think it's true, that Jesus was, in fact, making an exclamation of surprise. You believe that easily? Wait till you see what's really going to happen. So, so I would put Nathaniel in the category of those who are able to believe in Jesus very easily. And I am very thankful for this group, though I'm not really part of that group, because by nature, I'm a skeptic. You come and tell me something, and I'm like, Oh, yeah, I can see you believe that. That doesn't mean I'm going to. My wife is a Nathaniel. She just believes. Gable, I think, is a Nathaniel, too. But I'm not sure about the rest of us, so pray for the rest of us. We're, And that's the great irony of it. We actually have a kid named Nathaniel, and he's not a Nathaniel, so go figure how that works. But I want you to notice specifically the confession that Nathaniel makes in this moment. Verse 49. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Philip comes to him and says, we might have found the Messiah. But he didn't say anything about Son of God. But something happened in that moment. Now this confession that Nathaniel gives, he says you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. This confession, I believe, is the key confession that we can only confess by faith about the dual reality of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. In Nathanael's confession, it goes like this. He says, you are the Son of God, meaning God is your Father. There was nothing about the man Jesus standing in front of him that visually would have told Nathanael this guy is God's son something else happened and he goes on to say you are the king of Israel which he also could have said you're the Christ or you are the Messiah you are the anointed one something about the encounter that took place between Jesus and Nathanael in that moment brought a supernatural conviction to Nathanael's heart And the key confession of faith came to his lips, and he spoke it. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Now know this for certain. This is a faith confession. For no amount of argument in that moment had Jesus tried to argue him into believing who he was would have worked. Because it can't prove somebody that looks like a human is God's Son. So where do we get the faith to make a confession like that? Well, this leads us back to Peter, who I told you we would hear from again. It leads us to Peter and to his confession about Jesus. But I want you to note something about this. Nathaniel makes his confession right when he met Jesus. It takes Peter a lot longer. We don't all do this at the same rate. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? This question from Jesus is the most important question ever asked. And it continues to be the most important question ever asked. And it is a question you must answer not just with your head by parroting what you might have heard me or someone else say, but you must answer it with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. Matthew 16, verse 15. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This confession is the root confession of the Christian faith. Everything about being Christian begins right here. But if you don't have this as the core, and all you've got is the other stuff, let me be the first to tell you, you have nothing. This is why faith is one of the three that remains. For you see, it all begins with faith. But now this faith isn't just something that we we somehow conjure up within ourselves. No, listen to Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus replied, This is after he makes this confession. Jesus recl- replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Two points I want you to catch here. First, anyone can tell you that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God but no one can make you believe it anybody can say those words to you but no human can make you believe that only God by means of the Holy Spirit can convict you that this confession is true and when he brings conviction to your heart whether you're a Nathaniel Or a Thomas, whenever you have your moment, when conviction comes to your heart that you realize the man Jesus who lived and died and rose again was the Son of God and was the King of Israel, the Messiah prophesied about, and is your King, that is the moment your faith has begun. When your moment comes, you must believe. That's the first point. Second point, the church is built on this rock, on this confession. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Build a church on anything else, and when trouble comes, it'll fall flat. So do you see why faith is so important? It all begins with faith. Or more specifically, it all begins when you, by faith, Believe the direct revelation of God to your heart, soul, and mind that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the deepest core belief. And I can't prove it to you. And neither can any other human that walks the earth prove it to you. Flesh and blood cannot reveal this. Only the Father in heaven by means of the Holy Spirit can bring conviction to your heart that you accept by faith and lay the foundation of a Christian life. It begins with faith. This is the deepest core belief and it must be received by faith and it is where this deep core belief is where we must turn even in our most extreme moments which brings us to Martha Martha's brother Lazarus Jesus good friend has died and Martha is struggling to understand why Jesus did not save him John 11 verse 21 Lord Martha said to Jesus if you had been here my brother would not have died But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, all of this in this moment, I think is just too much for Martha. Martha has been broken to the core. Everything, all her structure, all her reality has been scraped away and she is down to the core. But guess what she finds at the core? Jesus says to her, do you believe this? So, when all the rest is scraped away, what does Martha have? Verse 27 Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She doesn't say, Yeah, Lord, I get it now. It still doesn't make any sense to her. But once everything else has been scraped away, what does she have left? A single confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God. When all else was lost, Martha found faith at her core. And by the way, whatever you face in life, Martha's answer is always the right answer. Because when you get scraped back to the core, that's the only solid thing you have left. Which brings us again back to Thomas and his crisis of belief when the others told him that Jesus had been raised. Remember his words? John 20, 25. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then he sees Jesus and makes his own form of the key confession. Verse 28. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, And then comes the part of the story that I believe is especially for us. Verse 29, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So let's wrap this up here. Can you begin to see how it all comes down to faith? Because everything else gets scraped away sometimes. And if you have not built your Christian life on the solid confidence in the identity of Jesus Christ you have nothing Now this notion of this core belief it's the reason John wrote his gospel Because just after verse 29, we find these words. This summary statement from John explaining why he wrote his book. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that what? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The core confession, the reason he wrote his book was that you would lay the only foundation of faith that there is. That Jesus is the Messiah. The Son of God. And what comes with that? And that by believing, you may have life in His name. This is the key confession. But the only way you can believe it is to accept by faith what the Holy Spirit is telling you is true. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. It all begins with faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, give us the conviction. Maybe we have built what appears to be a Christian life on on theory and doctrine and process and practice. And life has come along and scraped us to nothing and we find nothing left. Lord, help us lay the only foundation for faith that there is. That Jesus, who came and lived and died and rose again, is the Messiah of prophecy and the Son of God. Because by believing in Him, We will have life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.